I realised that actually studying at that time was maybe not my highest priority. But I was obviously very into socialising and at that point I got much more into the music side of things because, you know, growing up in Buckingham, our nearest city being Milton Keynes, it wasn't really a music city or a going out city. So when I got put into this environment, I was like, wow, I could, I could actually maybe make a living out of this, like out of doing music and out of DJing. It kind of taught me how to promote myself and uh, at the time things like MySpace and Facebook were just emerging platforms um, but we were using them we we had a lot of followers uh, for our music on MySpace and that was how we were getting known in different parts of the Midland like was through that it just happened that track just it just happened I remember making it and just being like this is this is a banger like this is a good tune Hi everyone, you're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast and before we get into today's episode I just wanted to let you know I started this podcast because over the years I've had hundreds of the most inspiring conversations of my life with small business owners and they really helped me grow and scale my own business and get my mindset right even when times were really tough. I wanted to capture those conversations and make them available to other small business owners who are following in my footsteps and I've just got a small request. If you enjoy this episode, if you find it really inspiring, if you find it helps you in your own business, Business, then please just like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. The more subscribers we get, the more we can invest in making the podcast better. So enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, you're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Johnny Lawrence from JL Creative. So Johnny, thank you for joining us on this podcast. If you could tell the audience what you do. Yeah, um, so I run a, a digital marketing agency called JL Creative. Um, we specialize in SEO uh, pay-per-click um, and all kind of all aspects of digital marketing and we've kind of found ourselves in a in a in a niche um, of uh, HVAC and uh, training uh, construction and trades training primarily um, yeah it's a it's a, a nice niche to occupy actually yes yeah absolutely it's um, and I guess actually a lot of this episode we can talk about the power of niching as well anyway but you know what before we get into um your your current business and how you started it it'd be really good to get a bit of an understanding about your background and and how you got into the world of work I, I guess like you know we're, we're childhood friends really aren't we and uh, we grew up on the same street and then um and then when you did start your business you, you knew I was an accountant so you came to me um but where you, and we also went to the same school but after school where'd you go what did you do for university yeah so yeah we grew up together in Buckingham didn't we and uh uh after Leaving Buckingham, uh, I went to Leicester to De Montfort University uh, to study uh, graphic design and illustration. So I did a, I did a year uh, doing a, an art foundation course uh, before going on to the illustration course, which I just, since I was young, I always wanted to be an artist. That was my calling. Like I had no real interest in, in things like money and business. It wasn't, it really wasn't part of the plan. Like I always just wanted to be that sort of free uh artist like whether that was you know painting or illustrating you know that sort of thing I was very very geeky I still am quite geeky um but just massively into that and things like you know Japanese art and manga and anime and fantasy art I loved all that stuff 
Yeah, I, I guess like growing up, we're in a group of friends where um, quite a few people were quite creative, really, weren't they? And there's always some uh, interesting pictures like floating around of the teachers. <laughs> and um, yeah, we were, yeah quite often we wouldn't actually maybe be paying enough attention to our academic work, and okay. we'd be maybe drawing pictures that we maybe <laughs> shouldn't have been drawing. Um, and yeah, actually, at the same time, like me and a couple of friends, we we used to make music as well and uh some of those uh tracks uh, <laughs> were also maybe not what we should have been doing at the time like interesting subject matters um, i guess creativity can't um can't be controlled or follow a, prete- a preset <laughs> no you never know i mean it's still up there with some of my best work um but no so i i my intentions were to sort of carry that on and, and study that uh in leicester um and you know within that first year I kind of quickly realized that not quickly I guess I I I realized that actually studying at that time was maybe not my highest priority um I got I was obviously very into socializing and at that point I got much more into the music side of things because you know growing up in Buckingham our nearest city being Milton Keynes, it wasn't really a music city or a going out city. So when I got put into this environment, I was like, wow, I could, I could actually maybe make a living out of this, like out of doing music and out of DJing. Um, so unfortunately, the art side at that point, like in studying graphic design, I, although I was doing it and I was showing up a bit sometimes, um, it, it just, it really wasn't what was then interesting me. And then it was the music that so we started doing um, events. So in the city, we'd do dance music events. We were, um, I used to actually work for a DJ there called DJ SS, who's like, if you're, a, if you're into the history of rave music, he's quite a big deal uh, from the 90s. And he used to pick me up in his BMW and I used to go around flyering, postering for him for his events in exchange for a set. And then at the same time, we were doing our events, like I say, like putting on parties in in uh you know local local clubs and and then traveling around the midlands actually we we kind of um me and a, a couple of others we kind of developed a bit of a name for ourselves as a, uh, a group called hrm doing mostly dubstep music at the time um and i really thought that was you know gonna be a career uh for a long time actually um it it, it kind of taught me how to promote myself and uh, at the time things like myspace and facebook were just emerging platforms um but we were using them we we had a lot of followers uh, for our music on myspace and that was how we were getting known in different parts of the midlands like was through that uh and it was teaching us how to network as well it was certainly teaching me how to network with people from across those those different cities and um just you know messaging people and saying like you know we've got this group like let's have a gig like or like when we started putting music out ourselves as well like you know you scratch my back I'll scratch yours you send us some tracks we'll send you some tracks and um I guess looking back on those times it it, it did start set me up for what I do now um so yeah it was it was an, it was an exciting time it was a bit of a whirlwind um because most of that time uh you know so got to about four years in of doing uni and I actually dropped out I just I, I stopped I, I I wasn't it was clear that I wasn't going to get the degree I didn't have the interest and I was actually you know I could see that 
career path in front of me to being a DJ or being a musician, being a producer, you know, that's it. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be the artist that I want to be. Um, and yeah, I, I came to a point in Leicester, even though I was enjoying myself, I was having too much of a good time. I wasn't necessarily working as much as I should have been. And the gigs weren't really paying as much as they needed to, to make it viable at that point. In my head, I thought, well, probably need to move to London. Like I probably need to, to pursue this dream properly. Like rather than being a big fish in a small pond, like no disrespect to Leicester at all. Like, but I wanted more. Like I had that drive and determination to be a bigger artist. And at that point I've been signed to a couple of reasonably big labels, like one from one in Barcelona and I was getting um, bookings, not just in the UK, but also uh, in Europe, playing in Ibiza, playing in Barcelona, Switzerland. I even played in Kiev at one point. Um, so I, I decided, yeah, I'm going to move. I'll move to London. Like, um, and as soon as I got to London, like it was clear that I could not afford to, uh, to live like that. Like I was living in Leicester on a London rent. I yeah. I basically, you know, I signed on. I was like skin I'm broke like and it was just yeah it was going to be difficult to make that work um and then I guess uh around about that same time you know like my parents were putting pressure on me to sort of maybe this isn't the most reliable career path <laughs> so are you paraphrasing or is that what they yeah. <laughs> are, are, you, are you being polite <laughs> yeah 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 definitely um it was yeah, it, it, there was a lot of pressure like to not do that thing. And even though, you know, they, I think they believed in me to do it. And I think I believed in it, but, but my dad's background is in like finance and banking. And he was an analyst and he's very good with money. Very, very, he, he, I think he was probably disappointed that I hadn't picked up that trait at that point. Like, and that I was quite idealistic and had this sort of fantastical view of, you know, how money worked and that, you know, oh, it's fine. I'll get signed, I'll get rich and I'll, I'll be flying all over the world and it'll be easy. Like now that I'm signed, it's easy. And it just wasn't. And I, I, my mistake was probably not putting the hard work in like at, when, at the time I should have been. And I was just like focused on the good times and having fun with it rather than taking it seriously as a business. Like, because we had a we had a record label, we essentially had a business back then. What, what could you have done to take it more seriously? Uh, I would have knuckled down and had a proper plan. I would have actually had a business plan for it as well. So um, would that involve going out and making more collaborations? Yeah, I I think at that point, like my networking was solely at the parties and at the events. And although that is a big part of it, like mm. even now in the, in the dance music industry, but obviously there was other things involved that you know there was there was a lot of drinking a lot of partying and the anxiety and poor men, poor understanding of mental health at that time and what was going on you know i was getting panic attacks and suffering terrible anxiety from from doing all that um and the traveling on top of that with no sleep made it impossible to do those things properly and then you're you know 
spending three days or whatever recovering from that weekend of gigs that it's very difficult to have those moments of clarity where you're like okay I'm going to work on the record label and pushing the record label or I'm going to work on creating some like a marketing plan with my management like my relationship with my management was terrible because I didn't treat it I didn't think I needed management at the time I probably did but why did you have management then because they sold it to me and I was naive enough to be like yeah okay I need it so I had oh, so you signed a long-term contract with them it wasn't a long-term contract it was more because they were friends of mine as well but I feel like it was sold to me on the pretense that they'd push me to the next level mm. when actually it, it just wasn't required like it wasn't a required like all they were doing was like creating social media assets for me but they weren't actually generating me any work and we don't we never had a plan we'd like meet up a couple of times so that lasted like a very short period of time that was like two three months I think the they did, one of them drove me to Gotwood when I played that festival. Okay. And that was a good thing for them to do. But mm. yeah, it just, the whole, the whole experience for a year when I was really sort of what I'd consider like doing quite well, I didn't enjoy it. It was, it, I enjoyed bits of it, but I found it incredibly tough. And it was very clear that it wasn't sustainable as a as a life. When you said for a year when you were doing quite well, when you said doing quite well, does that mean covering the rent and all your living costs and, and making good good money? Well, I suppose we skipped over in the interim period between Leicester and going to London. I lived at home with my parents at that point. So I lived at home for like two years, basically, while I was kind of doing that. So for in their eyes, it was like, okay, what well... well you're making a bit of money, but what, you know, where's this going? Um, and yeah, when I like doing well was for me was that I was gigging regularly to get, and I was gigging in Europe that was doing well for me. And that I could see, I was thinking, okay, I'm becoming more and well known. I had a Beatport number one release. So I had a big, I had a big track basically that, that gave me basically gave me gigs for, Year. What is Beatport number one? Beatport is the one of the main platforms for dance music. For, for um, it's a bit like iTunes for dance music. It's okay. where DJs go to buy tracks. So club DJs um, usually use Beatport to, to buy and download. And you were number one. It was on number one on release. For what was the track called? Hearing Voices. Okay. Um, so it was a yeah. It was that year. Was just like I basically lived off that that record. Like, wow, amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So in that, how did he come up with that record? Like, what was it? Just luck, or did he? It's. It was like I made it in like forty-five minutes, and it was sometimes. So when you're making music, sometimes you just get in a flow state and don't know what's going. Like it just happened, and like mm. that track just it just happened. I remember making it and just being like, "This is." this is a banger like this is a good tune like um and yeah I'd had a re I had a really strong EP all around it I'd made a few other tracks and I thought okay these tracks I'll send these off as a demo to a couple of labels and Lower East picked it up and and yeah it was it was a it was a big tune it was a big EP um yeah I, I, I produced for I've produced for years like I produced music I, I haven't done it for a while um I'm just too busy now but mm. uh but yeah it's but that was a great 
creative outlet. And I, lo- I even loved making music more than I loved making, doing drawings, doing illustrations and art. Um, and I, I, I eventually got signed actually by uh, Sasha. And anyone that knows me knows. I've heard of them. Yeah, Sasha was, he was like my idol when I was like early teens, like for my formative years. And I, I, one of my dreams, one of my goals was just, I would like him to play some of my music. Yeah. And yeah, he signed uh, one of my tracks and he actually played another track, Central Mix, on YouTube. Um, so I, yeah, I had, I, wow. you know, I had reasonable, I had a lot of the goals that I had in music, like I kind of hit them. Like I had, I, my, one of my goals was to have a record label and release vinyl. I think I've, I've had about six or seven vinyl releases of my own music. And we had a record label, Tough Luck Records, that we put out um, three, no, four, four records. Yeah, four records uh, on vinyl. The rest were digital, but we never made any money out of it. We, in fact, you know, um, my best mate, one of my best mates, Twan, he put, he backed it, he put all the money in and, you know, yeah, I still feel bad about that to this day that he, you know, he put a lot of money in and didn't get any back. Like, um, I will repay you one day. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we really, yeah, we, it was, it was that side of it was really fun. Like doing the music, making the music and, um, and the gigs, obviously, the actual DJing side of it, which is still a passion. Like, I collect records still. Um, but the mental health side and looking after myself, I was probably a bit too young to to kind of understand, like, the implications of that and how to look after myself properly in those situations and, you know, take myself away from certain things that made my mental health worse so you know going to that after party and then the after party after the after party you know there sometimes you just I wish I'd just said stop just gone home and just rested because then you know I probably would have been in a better mind a better frame of mind like to 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 think about it as a business but at that point that just didn't enter my mind it was all about fun it was all about chasing the dream so johnny that that's really amazing and i I guess you know what it i i I think from my perspective it like we've always been quite close friends over the years but then i was because i've never really been into djing or like dance music like that i've always thought you were just like tinkering with your like dj equipment again (laughs) or something i hadn't quite realized how you know how far like you'd taken it um so it it is really it, it is really good to um to see that I guess I was always like the odd one out in the group anyway because I was I was like a bit more studious when it came to things like finances and stuff mm. whereas you guys were all like really creative and um and uh, doing all that DJing and going to the raves um whereas I was like I, I was acting like a like an 80 year old guy and saying <laughs> these these raves are too loud for me so one thing that's really interesting right is the people that um that we get on this uh podcast like I'd say the majority of them I don't know if um girls behind the camera would agree but the majority of them didn't finish university and um quite i'd say most of them dropped out of education at some point and i, I think it's almost like that's the mark of a business owner actually the, really? the, the probably there wasn't enough freedom in a course or freedom in um in education to to learn and and uh 
do what they really wanted to do. So he, I think they rebelled against that um, regime. And then that's one of the things that really made them want to go out, go out and start their own business. So they were free um, to, to do something really productive. I guess that's another thing about education. It, it's not always that productive. Um, it can People are teaching you stuff, but they're not always explaining why they're teaching you stuff. Or they're teaching you what they feel you need to know rather than um, you being able to you being able to really um, look at what's going on in the world and in the industry around you. I guess by the time a syllabus comes out, it's already out of date really, isn't it? Because um, the world's moved on since then. I, I really struggled with, uh, with education, with more, more academic education and um, the way that it was structured. I always found it to be uh, kind of like a real turnoff to, to what I actually wanted to do. I, and I always felt that at school... I wasn't encouraged to do the the art that I wanted to do. It was always like channeled to sort of, it always felt like it was a restriction on my creativity, which just, I mean, I, I, I did really badly in my A-levels for, for art. And that just, it didn't make sense to, to me. It didn't make sense to my parents. Like it was just, and I, I think we, we had a, uh, I, me and my friends I think we all had in common that we we struggled with um with the teacher where we had a bad I think we had a bad experience because I had I had great art teachers up until that point and I used to get great reports on art and you know and, uh, and <coughs> great feedback and um and then a level it changed and it was like it was it was just it was it was restrictive and it, I, I don't know if it was because of the school we went to which is a very good school, but it was just, I think it was more geared towards exams. Exams, yeah. yeah. Getting I, the exam scores, right? I found that too. Like, um, I mean, I guess I'm not knocking the school because I've made some of my best friends there. And, it's a great school. And like um, in terms of like your, our attitude, I feel like we got yeah. a lot out of it for our attitude to life. And the, I mean, the way that, I, I think it's being sat here, for example, and running a business, I think I got a lot, a big leg up in terms of, the way to look at the world from that school, potentially. Hi, it's Nishi here. And before we continue with the rest of the podcast, I just want to take a few seconds to explain what we do. We're a firm of accountants and business advisors, and we are really passionate about helping people grow and scale their own businesses and achieve the lifestyle they deserve. To do this, we've created a series of resources on our website, unrelentingdrive.com. So once you've got a few minutes after this episode, it's definitely worth checking that out. And just a quick reminder, if you do enjoy this episode, just remember to like, share, follow and subscribe. Yeah, I, th I think there was, uh, I mean, well, we went to the Royal Latin Grammar School, so th there was a lot of ambition at the school, definitely. And that, and then the network we naturally built was full of ambitious people. Um, I think pretty much anyone I can think of from that school is 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 doing something is re really successful these days. Um, but and I, you know, it was one of those schools where what was it like ninety five percent of the students went to university. Yeah. And, but maybe maybe that was one of the challenges because like when I kind of felt I had to go to university, it was yeah, like same. just it was normalised. Um, but yeah, like I, I I did always struggle with this with this like focus on education, like, you know, people telling you to learn stuff without telling you why you need to learn it. And, um, it was just like, you got to get grades so you can get a job, but why do you need to get grades so you can get a job? Like, you know, it was just, it was too linear. So I, I, I always struggled there as well. Um, I think in the end I could have got better grades. Obviously I've got good enough grades to go to university, but, 
um, it was it was one of those things where I think like you know looking back at it, it was just it taught me that the biggest lesson in life I've learned from that school, which is still with me today, is don't tell people what to do, tell people why they need to do something, and then um, and then leave it to them to come to you to ask further questions. Yeah, I like that. That's a that's a nice that I I <clears throat> I'd agree with that. I think. And then the other thing that I've got out of the school and actually university is the people that I've met and networking I've done. Everyone, I feel like, I've, I mean, I've made some amazing friends different places that I've been. But my school friends, I'm still friends with a lot of school friends and I'm still friends with a lot of my university friends mm. that I met in Leicester. Um, and, and through that, it, it kind of helped me sort of develop, I feel like, um, you know, not just sort of personal friendships, but also like business friendships. Because I've ended up doing work when I was when I was then doing illustration work on the side, which I did end up doing as well. Um, I ended up doing a lot of illustration work for people's record labels, people that I'd met who had then subsequently set up their own record labels and have been sex- successful in those areas. Like I've done work for them. So it's been really cool. I've still been able to do certain bits of work that I that, like creative work in that industry in my spare time which has been a really nice thing so Johnny um is that well earlier I was gonna say you know how did you transition from being a DJ um in, into what you currently do but I guess there was another stepping stone wasn't that so you went into illustration after, after well there that. was there's a few there's a few things that happened so in that time as well I did an internship at EMI uh as a digital marketer so I was on there um I was on their uh, catalog team. EMI, they're a record label. Aren't EMI they? Records. Okay, so yeah. they don't. They got bought out by Warner, I think, a few years ago. And part of the reason that I didn't get a full time job there was because they were just the the industry was collapsing, and they basically were folding. Like their publishing still exists, I think, um, but they got bought out by Warner, and there was mass redundancy, um, which is sad because EMI, if you're if you know about um, historic record labels, the Beatles, EMI. Um, uh, Pink Floyd, uh, Led Zeppelin, all these, all the major rock bands through history. EMI was the cool label. EMI was the record label to sign to. Um, and I worked in the catalog team uh, on the digital marketing side of things. Actually, uh, it was quite clear for everyone on the team that our job was kind of slightly redundant. Uh, mm-hmm. well, although what we did was, so we did. It was like an experimental role because this Facebook was Facebook pages had just been launched. And we were actually building HTML landing pages for Facebook. I remember I've still actually got, or until recently, I still had the fake Daft Punk page that I set up as a test. So I did, I did Daft Punk, we did Spice Girls. Um, I think we did a bit on the Pink Floyd one as well. But we were literally creating like these landing pages, like actually in the Facebook uh, ecosystem. Very strange, because that doesn't, I can't imagine that existing now, actually creating Can, a, a so landing page. Is that where like you create a html page and then get facebook to point to it no no it was literally on it was create you create the html and then you add it it. you embed it into the facebook page so instead of having a facebook page it was literally a like a like a website landing page so people Mm. would make if they had a promotion or if they had a competition um, is that still possible today all right no it, it was it that ended very quickly like so it was a it was basically a pointless exercise um, but it was it was really interesting. We were doing things like um, uh, artwork on Amazon pages, and, uh, updating um, uh, pack, 
shot artwork on Spotify when Spotify was just starting. So yeah, it was it was a cool it was a cool little experience. Like, and I was there for a few months, I think six months. Um, I was there for, and I would have loved a job there. That was one place where I thought, oh, actually, this is I could I could actually work here. It's it's awesome. Like the culture was amazing. Very corporate and massive, but the people that worked there were all very similar, especially in the uh, the sort of the younger people there. We had a really good group. Um, although the the drinking culture was crazy because it's in Kensington. Okay. Literally lunchtime, there was some like executives just used to go to the pub at lunch, and then have three pints. And like I was like, wow, I can't, I'm not, I can't do this. So we go for lunch, and then you'd see people just drinking. Is that every day? Pretty much, yeah. And right. on Fridays, people would just be steaming, and then come come in on Friday <laughs> in the Friday afternoon, and no one would be doing any work. Like, I mean, our team was a bit more geeky, so we kind of like if the boss was there, then we'd have a drink. But if he wasn't, we wouldn't. I did. I personally just felt like I felt weird about doing that. <laughs> like I've always felt a bit weird about doing that. I was reading this interesting article on South Korean drinking culture the other day. Yeah, it's big, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it's um, it was saying like you can't um, you have to drink every time your boss drinks, and you're not allowed to stop drinking before they stop drinking. Oh and, my god! Yeah, and I was uh, I thought that was that was an interesting article, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, obviously it wouldn't be appropriate here but then it sounds like it's still happening in London quite a lot and I, th- I think it's well I don't know I know that in advertising industry and marketing it is you know there does seem to be a bit of a drinking culture but um, you know it's not really yeah it's never been I mean I do you know I like a drink um, but it, you know a lunch lunchtime at work thing is uh, you know it'd have to be a special occasion wouldn't just do it on the casual like every I guess it depends what you're doing in the afternoon. Because if if I had to do an account accounting work, I I, I couldn't have anything. Uh, but it's, dangerous. <laughs> but yeah, maybe if it was like uh, you had to do some networking afterwards, may, maybe. But yeah. we've always kind of avoided the drinking culture in our business. But maybe, well, sometimes, uh, yeah, it would be good if we had a little bit more of it. Actually, it's. But uh, no, it's it's to be fair, that's not really my business. How people um, hang out after work, but I think it's. I, I've been in businesses like that where people would would partake in that a bit more than um some other businesses but uh that, that's cool so you were doing that in kensington yeah and... so, I, so i did that i did that and then um it kind of gave me i always knew i thought like since doing the events and things in leicester i had a bit of a like i knew how to market like events and i knew how to i, I kind of thought okay I, I this is this could be something that i could do as a as a profession like i've done quite a bit of it i've been at the the this from the start of well not from the very start but close to the start of digital marketing and how marketing online uh, worked um so i kind of I, I developed quite a good understanding of how they were doing it at emi and i kind of always had that you know with my personal projects and things i was always doing that um and then i so in london i i i you know, i couldn't really afford to be a struggling musician i didn't really i wasn't all of that so i got a i ended up Going for a couple of interviews, going for a few interviews. At the time, I really, I don't know, I, 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 I struggled with that. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted from the job. And I kind of, when I turn up to interviews and I wouldn't really want the job. And I think that came across and I was a bit confused. And, and then I, I ended up going for an interview at a company called Logic for Training. Um, and actually, I, I think... One of, uh, I think one of the MDs, uh, one of the directors, sorry, um, he showed my CV to 
their PPC guy, who's a subcontractor. And because it, he was, he's really into music, um, he's, he's into more sort of old school rock music, but he's got a really forward thinking taste. Um, Richard Thomas, he's really, really good. Design web consultancy, little plug for him. Uh-huh. Uh, he basically just looked at it and was like, oh, this guy looks, should speak to this guy. Like, I feel like he'll know his stuff. Like, and he's got a bit of an interesting background. Uh, so they interviewed me and um, yeah, Mark, Mark Kroll and Kevin Budd uh, and they, they gave me a chance. They gave me a shot. Like they, you know, I didn't have, they didn't have a, a digital marketing department. Um, at that point they were, they were pretty established in the gas training industry. So that's their gas training uh, center. Uh, but they do, they do elect, um, electrical training, renewables, oil, all the trades basically. Um, and yeah, they were, they were kind of looking to expand their online presence. They had a web, they had a, at the time, reasonably good website. Um, but I think they wanted someone kind of a bit younger with some fresh ideas and, um, just to sort of take a different approach, uh, and work with their subcontractor, um, PPC subcontractor and PR person. Uh, and yeah, they gave me a chance and I, I, I mean, there was no handover as such. They were just like, we don't know what we want from this role. We're kind of just going to let you do what you want and just pick up, start to understand the industry. It was, it's a super complex industry. If you haven't been around it, it was like so daunting at the start because all these different courses had different course codes and like, it was like, if you do this thing, then you can do this. If you, but if you haven't got this certificate, then you can't do this and you have to redo it every five years and all, there was all these different sort of elements to it and, and legislation that was coming out every so often that would be like, Oh, now we've completely changed the way that this works and you have to relearn this. And you know, 18, uh, 17th edition wiring regulations at the time, there's a new amendment and then it will come out a different, there'll be the 18th edition will come out and every electrician has to go back and relearn that. So there was a lot of things to sort of think about and, and, and learn. What, what was quickly. your primary purpose at that company? I was, um, so I was the digital marketing at the time assistant. So it was basically mm-hmm. level, but it was. But we, who was were, were you reporting into someone else? Directors. Okay, fine. So you were essentially like a, a manager basically, to some extent. Yeah, from the start. But I, I being honest, like, I was like, well, where they didn't know what mm. the sort of, guidance to give me um and what, what did they who was your target market were you going for directly for the gas engineers yeah yeah for the installers okay. so for 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 all the tradespeople, it was all about so i think initially like there was no strategy it was just like okay we know we need to post on socials we could do ads on facebook we've done mm. that before so it was like setting those things up and uh, you know, I was quite big on branding and I still had my design skills. Mm. So I was also, you know, I was doing all the Photoshop stuff. I was creating assets and things for them. And then we do, we kind of were doing right. Okay. Let's my, my biggest thing was like, I knew a bit about SEO at that point. Um, not loads, but I was like, okay, well, what's going to help? We, we, we need to, we need to get a blog going to sort of, they had a bit of a blog, but it was like, what's it for? And they, at the time they were just doing pushing news articles this legislation has been launched and it was just literally very dry, you know, and I straight away was like, well, what we need to do is help content. We need to establish authority. And at the time there was a big problem with trust in that industry. 
uh, and I identified the fact that they needed we, we needed to build trust with people. We needed to, people to understand that Logic for Training is one of the good guys and one to be trusted. Um, and how do we do that? Well, we do that by seeding really good quality content that's really helpful to the people, be the, the source of information for all of this, for installers looking to train. They, if they type in, how do I do this thing? How long does it take to do this thing? They're going to find Logic. So we started that strategy pretty early on um and it just worked it was just you know it just grew and grew their online presence and i actually uh that's also where i met jessica low uh jello pr um and they're a um she's a pr agency specializing in in um trades and construction uh, and she really helped me at the start as well. And she continues to be a, a, a massive collaborator of mine. We're, we've partnered up on a lot of clients now, but that's where we met. Um, and she sort of helped me with the content, helped me get up, up to speed on, on the industry. Um, and we worked together on a lot of that strategy. And then we built their email out and we just, eventually we had this great strategy. We, we were really heavy on Twitter as well. And we used to, interact with the installers were you getting results oh massive yeah yeah so was it a combination of everything or would you say there was one specific thing you did the organic's that... been huge for them i mean oh, the, the seo PPC, side yeah ppc has always done really well but their seo really i mean we in-house we did well and then we we worked with uh, uh another seo agency um and basically guided them on what we needed because the it's it got so vast. We were like, okay, we need some support on it. Uh, did you did you focus on building links, or were you just trying to create the right content? So yeah, through through um, through Jess's work, through her uh, PR work, and um, that's where we we were building links through Trade Press and through you know we we would get. I think eventually we did get some BBC link. We just we still get the odd BBC th- uh, link well from our PR efforts but yeah we there was there was elements of link building at the time though it was mostly to do with um chasing long tail mid mid tail keywords um and it it just worked very well combined with the the social strategy that we had in place as well where we were very um at the time we we were focused quite heavily on twitter because that's where that was where the installers were so we identified that as being a strong platform and being a part of their conversations. So making sure that we were always visible if anyone, if people ask questions. So I was literally spending, as an in-house person, spending like 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day just trawling through Twitter, looking for the relevant hashtags for people asking questions. And then I was grabbing one of the trainers and saying, how do we answer this as an expert? And then we'd answer it. And they and then people gradually, the, we we used to get the odd troll saying like, at that point saying you know you can't train to be a, an engineer in you're born two it. weeks <laughs> you can't you've got to do an apprenticeship you've got to do this and that and like there's a skills i don't know if you're aware there's a massive skills gap in this country like there's a real problem with um getting new engineers in especially young people young people going to university still and vocational training is just ignored when actually it's a really good opportunity to build your own business actually having a trades business gives you the freedom and you can make a lot of money. Um, and these, these guys, I don't know, for whatever reason, very sort of old fashioned, you know, at the time and, and used to really complain a lot, but gradually through interacting with these people and through answering their questions as experts, 
it did it turned it turned the tide and we actually created brand ambassadors from doing that so through that personal touch on those platforms where they were and we we used to say to some of the guys with the bigger followings say and and the women actually because that's a real untapped market i can talk about that as well at some point but we we'd say to them well come and do your training at logic we'll give you a 20 percent discount and then they'd come there, they'd post it all over their, their uh, it, was, it was early influencer stuff, right? They'd post it all over their, their accounts as, mi- as micro-influencers, which if you know anything, that micro-influencers really great uh, promotional tool. Um, but yeah, they, they have an engaged following and they see that and they go, training must be a good thing. So we did a lot about brand development. If, so if you, if you had to do it all over again, would you use the exact same strategy or is, is there things you did that then that wouldn't work now? Yeah, I th- I think on its own now some of the SEO strategies, uh, some of those we never used any black hat SEO strategies. So we were always by the book, and that we knew that some of the competitors weren't, and that was great because you'd see us going up, and then there was an algorithm change, and you'd suddenly we'd be checking like their performance, we'd just see these huge dips. You know what? It's funny you should say that because when I first built our own website, um, because I couldn't afford to outsource it when I first started this accounting business. And um, I used all the black hat stuff. I had my laptop open all night, um, building dodgy links. I had like um, spinning software, just creating unreadable articles. And then like, we were just like going, moving up and up and up in the rankings. And then, you know what, as soon as, like, luckily I just about started making enough money in time where I outsourced that to an agency. And the first thing the agency said is, this is all like black hat, dodgy stuff. You know, you can't keep doing it. I was like, yeah, that's why I'm paying you to fix it all. And they started fixing it. And then as soon as that algorithm change came in, because the algorithm change was very shortly after, I'd just hand it over to this new agency. And um, and we managed to, to avoid the relegation because of that. But it was, it was just a matter of timing, really. Um, and then, like... SEO has been one of the most powerful things we did over the years, but then we I kind of turned that tap off about two years ago because we did a bit of rebranding. I think we were talking about it earlier, yeah. but um, actually now we're focusing on it again because um, we, we are creating a lot of content um, and we've got a lot of social media activity. So it's just about connecting it all up and cleaning it all up, and then um, and and you know it's it's a great asset for us. But yeah, it is. It's um, it's good that you say that because actually, like one thing. I do believe these days is all you can do is just create good quality content and um, hope hope the platforms will well, what, what, and the audience will appreciate it. What we're finding now um, it, that is it, it's not um, it's not worrying. I wouldn't call it worrying, but it just means that you have to be ready and you have to change. Is that um, because of AI tools, so ChatGPT, Bard, um, all of these things that create content for you. You're seeing a saturation, or you're starting to see a saturation of FAQ type content, and just suddenly, the, the how much there is for some of these traditionally quite easy to sort of rank for uh, longer tail um, keywords, that's now become super competitive, or it's becoming super con- competitive, and it's probably going to become not completely redundant, but you're not going to have an article that sits at the top the whole time without having to change that and that's that without having to sort of um, revisit it sorry regularly to update keep it updated because people are just going to look at it extract extrapolate all the content from uh from your article put it into chat gpt say rewrite it in the style of 
make it better, whatever, post it back up, and then they're gonna you're gonna you're just gonna be on a constant battle. So what we what we believe will happen, what a lot of people believe in will happen is that um testimonials, case studies, content that involves real people, reviews, um videos. Videos that's going to become much more important. Like real, real endorsements mm. are going to become paramount, I think. And that's something that I think all businesses prepared, uh, prepared for. Like, I think you can, we're already, you know, we experiment with uh, you know, content for social posts, you running that through uh, ChatGPT. Eventually that's going to become saturated because you're just, you know, although they're quite interesting at the moment, and one of my clients has been, he's quite funny. He's just been, he's loving using, so he's really busy with um, with a load of uh, shows last week. But every now and then he'd just take a moment, paste a little description into ChatGPT, say create a social post. And it would just write this, it was like a wordsmith article, like poetic, mm. like hilariously written article for LinkedIn piece, like, sorry. Uh, and and yeah, but it, as soon as you know, it's ChatGPT. Every time you see it, you're just like, well, that's that's just an AI article. What was the because um, me and the marketing team were talking about this the other day, and like, there's a website where you can go take your articles and paste them in, and it'll tell you what proportion of it's human content and what proportion of it's um, been written by uh, by um, AI. Yeah. So it's it, there. There is like, yeah, it can tell the words. It's I think it's not that accurate. We've Isn't we've it? tested this and we've had stuff that we've written get flagged as AI. Oh right, okay. And yeah. we've we just I don't know how good Google's algorithm is at, at checking this. Because what we're finding mm. is that clearly there's if we're seeing the number of articles on uh like for certain keywords that we're tracking for our clients going up. Yeah. That means that we're pretty sure that a lot of those are gonna be AI written. Well, I I personally think, although I'm not an expert in it, but I think it's looking for the amount of original themes in it rather than the way it's actually worded. And, and this is one of the reasons. We do create blogs, but we actually create them off the back of our videos. So we'll take the transcript from our videos and then we'll yeah. get chat GPT to tidy it up rather than like, you know, write something from scratch. So the idea is because like, and, and with that, we tend to like the idea is we avoid any like um, duplicate themes that are already out there in the world because our videos are based on like, you know, our original thoughts. We, we find, um, I think that's a good way of doing it. We also find that it's really good for creating blog framework. So you ask it to give you say a brief or like a, a create a template. And for that, for creating templates, it's really useful. It can cut down a lot of time. It can give you that sort of initial creative uh, spark to then yeah. write the full blog. Um, and you well, can you can obviously you can use it to optimize for search as well a little bit. Um, and it, it it can it can be useful for that too. I think I'm also quite excited about the new LinkedIn changes and the algorithm changes that are coming that, yeah. in. Yeah, so. Like um, LinkedIn is going to make sure that you're a lot more consistent to your niche. So it, uh, from what I understand, it's going to start cross-referencing cross -referencing the kind of content you make um, versus like, you know, your bio and, and your strap line and, and your experience. And, and it's also going to look at like the consistency within your con um, content so you uh, to make sure that you're always on theme. So I think that's quite good because um, it means like if if you're connected to the right people, then they're more they're more likely to see your content. And you know, I, I guess one of the sort of disheartening things on Facebook and LinkedIn has always been when 
you can you can create a video about something that's actually really important for business owners although i know perspective is, is important or perception is important but you create you put effort into creating something you feel is valuable and then someone sharing a picture of their dog beats you um <laughs> yeah and so i think i think what linkedin's doing is it's, it's going down this more professional route where it is more about your ideas and and the professionalism in your content yeah um so that should be quite good but um yeah i mean i think we've come a long way since the, the days of black hat seo compared to what we do now but um, obviously, there's uh, things we do need to tidy up. So, Johnny, how, how long were you at the... Um, so, and by the way, what was that company called? You, you were Log- Logic for Training. Logic for Training, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and they, yeah, there's a, you know, they, I'd, I've got to big them up as well, like massively, because mm. I think at the, when I joined them as well, they were quite proud of the fact that they had a very low staff turnover and they have they have a very personal way a personal approach and and very 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 nurturing to me how um, big was that company uh that company so they had when i joined probably about between so they have they have well at the time they had three training centers uh around the south of england i think probably about 30 30 30 odd employees or maybe slightly less actually at the time and there was actually two companies so there's logic for training and um time it was called logic certification now it's lcl awards they rebranded um which has actually become each company in its own right um but it was yeah it was just it, it had a real sort of close feel about it and even i, I always felt a little i've always felt a bit of a black sheep when i've worked in companies anyway and that's just that's just me that's because i i guess i think probably that trait I, I kind of want to always want to do my own thing. Do, do you think like, like being part of something from the ground up really pushed you much further ahead in your career than you would have got if you'd just joined a mature marketing team? Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think that was a big, that was a big plus, like in terms of them giving me a chance to do that and actually learn by doing like learn how to uh, like be I was able to be quite creative Mm. and I think that helped in a you know look being honest like at the time I didn't have any interest in trades and construction and I I I honestly didn't expect to be there for that long and then I ended up staying for six years I think and they are now one of my main clients like I I I love working with them I'm very I care about that company a lot um so because i but yeah because i essentially built that digital marketing that they do that w- it was kind of like me mm. that did that so i feel very close to it and and did you and did you have a team when you left like um um yeah so i had uh at various points had an assistant um and basically i was managing so I was I was essentially managing the the PR, um, PPC, uh, subcontractor. So I was like, yeah, I was just I was managing the whole the whole lot. So I was I had probably and um, the SEO uh, agency when working with them and the developer. So yeah, like I was managing probably six or seven people. Okay, sort of, and effectively. That's, so yeah, from so you built that marketing team really from scratch, really. 
Yeah, um, well, I kind of became a part of it. And, yeah. and then I think, you know, I was, I was the sort of primary communicator between. I think I probably, it was, it could be quite difficult sometimes because I just didn't, I, I didn't think of myself as a, as a manager at all at that point. I probably, they, probably Mark and Kevin probably didn't think of me like that either. Because I, I mean, I always tried to report to the, to create these reports and to say, okay, this is, you know, come, come into the office and I like, like to sit down and like make it quite official. And, but they weren't really that into all that sort of type of thing at the time. It was sort of, uh, they took, they don't get me wrong. They took it very seriously, but it was like, I think cause I was, cause I came, I was quite young and kind of different in style I, I, I don't know I, I can't put my finger on it but I think they've always had a sort of like uh what, what am I trying to say here um do you want me to start that bit again <laughs> no, no it's it's all right well we'll cut that bit out but it's um so th- have, have they it sounds like you're describing a, a company that's got a like a laissez-faire um to, to the digital marketing yes I'd say and maybe not so much everywhere else and it has changed a bit and we do, you know, it is because it, it's got much mm. bigger. It's got. Were, much were they essentially like, we don't know how this works, but we need it, so just go ahead and get it, yeah, get what you need done at the yeah. time. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, mm. but that that was definitely a part of what probably why I stayed for so long because, and it, you know, obviously they had to trust me, uh, and I think well, I clearly did earn their trust. Like, yeah. and I could do, I did, I never. I don't feel like I ever betrayed their trust. And actually they gave me three months off um, to go to India at one point because I, oh, nice. I went through, uh, there was a, you know, I sat, I had very sadly lost a close friend um, just before I turned 30 and it was a real, it was pretty tragic and, and they were kind enough to, I think they saw like that I was struggling a bit and they took the time uh, they well, they basically trusted me to say I don't think they probably thought I was going to come back to be honest they, uh, you know but they trusted me to do that and I did come back three months later I was back at the back of my desk and mm. it it was it refreshed me and I think I lasted two more years after that um, but I I really you know I really really valued what I learned from them and I still value what I've learned what I learned and continue to learn from them terms of running a successful business um i think i've always tried to learn from people and sure they 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 taught taught me a lot okay amazing and so what what made you want to leave leave that job and start your own thing i think after six years so i actually ended up going somewhere else after that so i actually tried to go back to music not making music but working in music so i actually joined um I joined a music startup um, and uh, yeah, called MQA, um, offshoot of Meridian Audio. Uh, in retrospect, I think for both parties, it was maybe a mistake because I took a maternity leave um, uh, cover. Well, yeah, a yeah. maternity leave cover. So um, as a, what I thought was a digital marketing manager at the startup, like this is going to be great in music and it i just never really got a handle on what they were trying to do with the with the marketing it was very different and i didn't really have that much control i felt a little bit i don't think i was out of my depth but 
I have I had major imposter syndrome there. I I like the first week. Uh, this is quite a funny story. The first week I did, we went to the Music Week Awards, uh, and it was like, yeah, it's this big award ceremony in London. Like, meet. I hadn't hung out with anyone from the company really, apart from my marketing director. She was there, and then uh, I was with the. Um, uh, I think he was he's the head of. Uh, product management but he's basically oh uh, the en- main engineer basically uh for uh, he was kind of in charge of um getting the the, the music encoded uh and added to streaming services or where, wherever it was and i meet this guy i'm like oh yeah hey how's it going like we all sat having a few drinks and there's the head of pr there as well and we were sponsoring the event and it's a big music event there's like Dua Lipa was presenting one of the awards and uh lauren laverne was presenting it we're right at the front and I'm sat next to this guy, uh, Spencer, Spencer Chrislew. And he, and I go, Oh, right. So I heard you're a producer, like, you know, done anything good? Like I produce as well. Like, and he goes, yeah, d- Springsteen, uh, did Frank Zappa, uh, done uh, Nirvana. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I was like a little bit drunk. I nearly spilt wine on him. I was just like, so I'm, I'm really strange around people like that who I suddenly realize, oh my God, you're like big deal. And I just completely, I could never through that whole time I was working there, I worked there for 18 months or 15 months, something around that. I just couldn't, being around him, I was just in awe of this guy who was like, who, you know, all of them in there, like Bob Stewart, who's like a legend in audio, like created meridian and created mqa like i just couldn't couldn't talk to him i just couldn't like get my words out it was just it was complete imposter syndrome like the whole time i was there and i was just i was probably drinking too much coffee as well when i was there and i was just always like i just feel out of my depth i don't think i was but i just i could never find my little comfort zone there like and the, the people that worked there were lovely and the team was lovely but I struggled. Uh, and, and yeah, through that time, I was kind of talking to a couple of people, um, a friend of mine in Berlin, who, uh, client, still a client of mine, actually, called Producer Tech, another shout out. Um, but he, he sort of, we started talking and he was like, would you work for me? And I, I sort of said, what about if I were, if, if it was like freelance and then, cause I feel like you don't need someone uh, like a full time, it's not a full time position. You know, for me, it wouldn't be worth my while. And, but if we could, if I started as a freelancer and I could have a few clients doing sort of similar stuff, like that could work. And he was like, sort of went away. And then he's like, yeah, we, we eventually do that. And then, it was about, I think it was about, it was a couple of months before I kind of, I was kind of, umming and ahhing about it. And I was thinking, it's quite a scary prospect. And I was speaking to a couple of my friends, thing, thinking, I've got an opportunity to do something different, do it my own way. But I'm a bit scared. And then I just realized, like, I'm not happy in this job. I was started journaling, actually, at the time. I was journaling probably about eight months prior to that because I was just, I was struggling with what I wanted from things. I was still on the side at that point. I was doing a lot of illustration. I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll do the art full time. Maybe I'll, it's a way out. I was really looking for a, for a real different 
a different change, a change of direction. Um, and then I just thought, right, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Like I spoke to Rob and said, yeah, uh, like let's do it. I'm going to, I'm going to give my notice in, I'm going to start the company. And that's, that's what I did. And that was 2019. So four years ago. Uh, and yeah, I'm back really. Amazing. Wow. And so what, what were your first, what was your first year of um, being self-employed like? Crazy. Crazy. Cause we, <laughs> not long after I'd started, we had, we obviously had the pandemic. Yes. So, um, so in, so 2019, so I started with, with Rob and then I suddenly had a lot more free time. So I was like, great, do my art on the side, like spend a bit of time just, but quickly after I got a phone call from Kevin training, it's like, can you have a look at what's going on with that? Not a lot going on. Like, you know, there's a few things going on here like that I think dressing and then they, I took them on as a client. Then uh, through, through Jess, we started to get more clients as well, more training centers and the others. So I pretty quickly had like four clients and that really made me feel pretty comfortable straight away. I was like, okay, this is cool. But I'm not very good at being comfortable. Being comfortable to me is a little bit uncomfortable. I, I, I really, I, I need to be doing stuff. I need to be doing more. Like I, I can't, if, if I'm comfortable, it means that something could go wrong and that would, that would be bad for my comfort zone. So I need to be even more comfortable. I need to keep driving the comfort levels up, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so we kept, we just, you know, I kept getting more interest from people, mostly from word of mouth at that point and from, you know, people recommending me and from, um, from Jess and Richard, who I'd work with at Logic, who were like just saying, "Oh, speak to this person." So, so it was really, it was actually not as hard. I really thought it was going to be very, very difficult, but I'd already kind of developed a bit of a reputation through Logic and through others, a bit of doing a good job for people. Um, that yeah, it was it was quite easy to sort of get my foot in the door, um, and then. Yeah, so like within, I guess, six or seven months, I think, that was when COVID happened. So I started yeah. in July, yeah, about eight, seven or eight months, and everything just went crazy. It was like... In a good way, or... Well, yeah, I mean, for, it was, it's a strange one, because obviously it's hard to s sort of say... There was, obviously, there was... The really bad things that happened at that time, you know, we, I lost my, my, my nan and that was at a time where we couldn't, you know, we couldn't go visit her. She was in, she was in a care home at that point and she wasn't, she'd been very poorly for quite a long time. Um, and at that point, you know, March, we couldn't see her like, uh, and that was, that was horrible really. And um. But from a you know from a from from the business sense from 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 working like we it, it we did get a lot of work like it, it was I was busy and I was thankful for being busy because I was living with people at the time I was living with uh, a bunch of mates like we had a really we had a 
great house in Ali Pali, uh, in Alexandra Palace, sorry, in London, uh, with a huge garden. Uh, and so thankful that we had that because that time could have potentially been incredibly depressing. Yeah, if or, you're in an apartment I mean, or... Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Um, but we, you know, I was able to sort of decompress and I was able to deal with what happened. My, you know, my nan was very old. She was uh, 90 um, when she passed. And so we could still celebrate her, but we just, it was just the circumstances of it were, was horrible. So I, so it, so what I'm trying to say is it's it's kind of difficult for me to talk about it in a positive light as well. But but there was you know I what we found or well, what I found sorry was that businesses um, at that time were um, offloading their staff, their digital, well, their in-house staff. A lot of them like lost their jobs, and they were saying, okay, how do we we can we can get subcontracted. So I gained quite a few clients at that point. Why were they doing that? Like, were the in-house teams just too expensive? I think so. I think a lot of slightly smaller businesses were, where they'd had an in-house person were thinking, well, mm. we, we, we need to cut costs. Like, we're not... A lot of the... I think that maybe it's a fault with, a lot of, with some businesses, but they're, very lead, they're focused on leads and they're focused on sales. And, and that... I understand that. But in marketing, that isn't the be all and end all like there's a lot more going on with you know telling the brand story but in a situation like that where you've got a crisis what's the the first thing that that suffers it's a knee-jerk reaction exactly and i think a lot of businesses maybe that's how they responded was to okay well this is a this is now a nice to have thing Mm. and we will get rid of them i think for us, like, you know, we, we've worked with um, subcontractors for marketing a lot and marketing agencies, but having people in your business who understand what the business is doing, who can actually see your operations day to day, who can actually build relationships with other parts of your business. I don't, I don't think there's any subcontract relationship that can replace that. I, um, I agree. I totally agree. I think we, you know, for us as well, like I, I find we work much better and we desire working with clients that have that in-house person so we can build that relationship with them, support them. Yeah. That's the ideal scenario. I think like, you know, where, where you do have a marketing team embedded in that business already that you can actually support. Um, although I'm, that's more your area. So Johnny, somewhere along the line, you decide that you didn't want to be self-employed anymore. You wanted to start employing people and scale up and be a business. What, what drove that decision? <laughs> Partly you. <laughs> mm. Partly you, because you were, you were very encouraging about it. Um, I think for a long... I, so I, I think, and I've heard this, I think I've heard this on your podcast actually before, but like talking about you, st- you start to, you become a freelancer, you become a so, uh, self-employed for the freedom. And then maybe, uh, maybe there's a common trait, but certainly with me, it's like, you kind of want more. Like, how are you going to get more? How are you going to grow the business really? Like, I'd probably reached a point where I wasn't, I didn't have, I wasn't going to have capacity to have more than the clients that I had. So, and you know, it was like, well, this is comfortable. This is great. Like, but probably do more. Like I could probably reach kind of a point which I never thought I could reach before. 
Um, what was that point? Uh, I guess making money. Like I never had that interest yeah. before. Like, but you know, I kind of, I kind of had. I suddenly thought, actually, you know, I could, I could probably make, I could probably make decent money if I business. Um, so there was that factor. So were you looking for that level of automation? So like, you know, being, being able to go back to India, for example, for a few months while the business was still running without you could, could be a good example of that uh, potentially. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like thinking about future, like where, having something that runs itself, that sounds pretty good. So I suppose a lot of it still comes down to freedom and those nice things. Um, but I'd be, you know, there was also elements of like, we could do a bet, we could create a really good service. Like we could, because I, I, what I found with marketing agencies, and people that I've encountered, there are, good, there are really good ones out there. But there's a lot of not very good ones, or there's a lot of that don't, you know, they're the way that they ha- build their relationships isn't necessarily what, how I would build the relationship. So I, I think yeah. having my stamp, having my, putting my personality, into a business like i thought that was a really cool thing as well but i did resist i resisted as you know i resisted for quite a while resistance is futile (laughs) it is um no it's you know what there's nothing wrong with being self-employed like you know for a lot of people because and actually you know to go from being self-employed to be a business owner you have to take a step step back financially a lot of the time you have to make sacrifices which um people have to go from a place where they're comfortable to being uncomfortable so they can get comfortable, a bit yeah. more comfortable again. Yeah. And um, and I think it's, uh, so, yeah, there was something, um, there was something clearly that you identified that you wanted from making that transition, really. Um, and, but I mean, you did it, you, you hired your first member of staff pretty quickly, didn't you, after you'd made that decision? Like, how, how long do you think you'd been sitting on, sitting on that decision before you decide, yeah, I do want to scale it? Not long. Hey. Did it really quick. It, I think I had to, for me, if I'd thought about it too much, I wouldn't have done it. Yes, actually, yeah, that's it. Um, thinking doesn't get you far when you're doing something most people would consider um, as crazy. But um, that's me as well. I didn't, I don't think most of the business owners I've come across, they don't, they don't think about it. Like it, although I, I was talking to Tom Bedford and he was like, oh yeah, I made a list of the pros and cons, but I don't, that's, that's unusual. Most business owners I know, they just like that, it, you know, the, the key to success is the element of surprise. So you yeah. just got surprised yourself. Well, that's, there's a book called The Road Less Stupid. And I've read that a few, I've been reading, it's quite a good book to sort of use as a, as a tool I find for, if you're, if you have got a difficult and his his I forget the author but the his argument um is that you know a lot of bad business decisions come from those knee-jerk reactions I don't think that hiring people deciding to hire people was a was a need I think that's necessary to be honest I think that bucks the trend but he his argument is to spend for do 45 minute thinking time like ask yourself a question make sure it's the right question and then mm. just just think about that and then and then make the decision based on that forty five minutes. So that's that's he, he's kind of got a, a slightly different view on that. But for for that those that decision to scale the business, I think the more I would have thought about that, I would have talked myself out of it because I would have been like, well, I'm I was already doing a lot of what ifs. Um, but as soon as I put the wheels in motion, done did my first job spec, 
I hadn't thought about the onboarding process or anything like that. I hadn't thought there was loads of things I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Uh, I just put it out there and then I thought, okay, well, now we'll work our way backwards and we'll, we'll figure all the other stuff out, but we'll just get that per- first person in place and it'll be fine. It doesn't matter. People do this all the time. Um, so that's kind of how I did it. And I mean, it was, I had a really stressful time of it um, at the start. Like I remember being in, I remember interviewing and then being in Brighton uh, for a, uh, uh, I had a meeting with um, uh, another agency that I work with um, and just being in a coffee shop trying to find out if, because I'd offered the job at that point and then yeah. I was like, oh, you know, and I told the other person that they didn't get it and I was like, okay, that's probably not the way to do it actually because I don't even know if that she's accepted yet. And then I was kind of, I was really stressed about it. I was like, oh God, like, you know, I was trying to find Wi-Fi somewhere. I was sat in this little bohemian art cafe and, um, and just checking my emails every five minutes, like trying to, trying to keep myself busy, but like kind of, you know, sweating, shaking. Like. Um, and then, yeah, eventually, yeah, she, she then texted me and was like, yeah, I'm happy to take the job and. And um, she's still with you at the moment, isn't she? Still, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and she's great. She's, um doing a really excellent job and it's been a you know everyone everyone I've hired touch word has has turned out to be great and I like I love working with them. yeah well, and what does your team look like these days so so yeah so we hired, what do they do we hired employee number one in October as an account manager so at the time it was like digital marketing role but account manager slash so they deal with all the, they deal with the client. Um, they're client facing. Hopefully, eventually, I'll be, I won't be client facing. I'll still sign things off, but ideally, I need to take more of a step back from that. Um, and yeah, she hit the ground running. And then three months later, uh, we hired our second account manager. Uh, so we have two, and that should be. We should be good for capacity for a few more clients as well before we need to get another person. Uh, and then we've just hired um, our newest uh, member of staff who's a digital marketing, uh, in-house digital marketing. So responsible for everything we do on social media and putting our, our comms and um, content, website updates. So uh, yeah, and she's, she's excellent as well. She's, yeah, she came with me to a trade show last week and took lots of pictures and started our TikTok, uh, which we're using to sort of promote our company culture. Um, so yeah, and she's, they've all been involved with shaping the business as well. I've been quite, I've been quite sort of uh, open with that, with them. I want them, you know, I want us together. Obviously it's my vision, but I want them to help and feel like they're helping to shape how the business works how the business operates from a you know team structure and and um uh, you know how we just generally how we operate like i just want them to sort of have i want us to have a shared vision right yeah they can have input on that then that's to me that's a that's that's a good place to work and they all seem to really enjoy how we work it's very we're very hybrid so it's mostly work from home we're in london um, so we, we kind of, we've got a, a membership, Soho House membership. So 
quite swanky. Um, it's quite nice to go there. We go there on a Tuesday. We have our team meeting. It's a creative environment, nurturing environment. I will see you eat, eating a Caesar salad or something there when um, you're on Zoom. Yeah, and you're, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, it's, it's good food in there. <laughs> but they, the, yeah, they've um, no more Caesar salads on camera because you can't do video calls on Oh, really? Okay. So, but it, which is nice. nice. I actually find that that's quite good for do that once a week, to have mm. no meetings, but just have a team day where we do, we do our team meeting, we do our team marketing meeting, and then we just spend time together working and they can float ideas to me. Uh, I can just express. That's a, that's a bit short-sighted of them, isn't it? Because like, I'd imagine people doing Zoom meetings in there would be really good marketing for it, them. It's quite an exclusive place. So they, they like to... They have protect the privacy yeah, of its members. You and get a lot of, you know, like uh, actors and okay. stars and things. There. Who's the most famous person you've seen there? Don't know if I'm allowed to say. Okay, I don't know. Don't. I might, tell me, might tell not me later. Be able to talk it's, about it. Yeah. Um, okay, amazing. So, um, I guess first rule of Soho House is don't talk about Soho House. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I've been told off by the marketing team for having more negative questions in these podcasts. Let's go for something a bit more positive. What do you think is the most rewarding thing about scaling your business? About scaling the business? Um, I think bringing in new talent has been the best thing for me. And being a, like, the way that we've done it, obviously we've kind of, from, I guess financially we kind of, can afford to pay for sort of more experienced people. So it's about finding that young, that junior um, talent. Maybe they don't have as much experience on, you know, for, in certain areas, but can, I feel like you can tell like that. I feel like that's maybe something that I'm picking up is sort of the ability to understand, like you might not have the experience on SEO, for example, how Google Ads work. Yeah, that can be trained, but your personality matches with, well, matches with our culture, um, which is obviously important. But you see that there's something going on there. You, you've got, they've got that um, ambition, I think, all of them. And I found that incredibly rewarding, actually. I've, I, I really didn't see myself as someone that always enjoyed managing people. Certainly when I was working, um, for others, I found that kind of challenging some days. Didn't feel like necessarily talking to people. But with this team and with what we're doing, Jail Creative, I think that bringing people up and sort of, yeah, nurturing is definitely the right word. I, I, I've found that to be incredibly And being able to say, especially if there's been a, you know, we've had a stressful week. Last week was really tough week um, for me personally, like in terms of just crazy commitment. Doing, you know, I was getting up at six and starting at six thirty and not ending basically because my partner was away; she was uh, on holiday, so I was just working, bed, not sleeping very well because I hadn't switched off up working. Did that all week because I was preparing as well for a, for a forum. And then we went to Bristol. I went to talk at this workshop. Uh, LCL Awards um, Forum, sorry, uh, talking about social media and um, digital marketing for <clears throat> for training centres, trades based business. 
uh, and we just smashed it. It was amazing. Really, the day was just incredible. Went really well, um, and we got to celebrate that fact today. And we came away with some great content. And yeah, it's just that that the reward of that has been brilliant. Um, so yeah, that's definitely that's definitely up there. Johnny, you were telling me about the week where. Yeah, you went to that forum in, um, in uh, where was it? Um, Bristol, right? And uh, and I saw an amazing TikTok uh, video that your team member Rene um, put together. It was it was high quality, um, and it looked like you had a really good week. And then you were telling me about you know all the leads that you picked up, everything else that was going well in your business. And then you essentially told me about how your entire week was ruined just because you had like this one toxic client. Um, how did that make you feel? Yeah, that's difficult. Um, uh, yeah, in the past we've had, you know, we've had the, uh, we have been lucky, but we've had the odd difficult experience with, you know, whether it's it, the way communication gone and it's not like, it's usually, I think it's usually to do with the way people, some people communicate. Um, and as in some people can be rude. Yeah, and probably not aware, maybe not aware that they're doing it even, but that that it the way it comes across is, you know, when your staff are being accused of things that they haven't done, and you clearly see that, because, I mean, you know, I'm being CC'd, and then it's like maybe they didn't realise that we did, and they've, they've basically not given up. Um, I didn't really know how to handle it to be honest like I was like uh, you know I had to speak to my staff member and I because I want to protect I'm protect I'm protecting my staff always got that um and and handling that was difficult um very difficult you know there there's I I I will admit I struggled to um know what to do like what because cutting ties with someone is know especially a client like they might not really understand what they're doing wrong was it was an issue it became an issue and it was ruining every time it got to a point where every time we were speaking to why if you're if you're accusing us of all these things why are we still working together like for for example like not for example but it, you know if if you're working with a subcontractor and you don't think that they're delivering, why would you keep them on? Like, I don't, I didn't understand this. And I, I, so I didn't understand. I didn't really believe. I didn't really believe him. There was no trust. Uh, trust broke down. Sure. From our side, I think. Possibly. Saying. Saying. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we, we've, we had to, we, we've sort of let a couple of clients go in the past. How did that feel? It's a relief, to be honest. <laughs> now, now that, you know, when, when we've done it, it's, it's been a relief. Uh, it, it's a learning curve, I think, because I think you sort of, you look at clients and you think, well, I'm not going to say no to work or I'm going to say, you know, yeah, absolutely, we can do this for you. And you don't think about, actually is this the type of person we want to work with like are they you know are they going to match up with what we how we are going to treat you 
are they going to, are we going to get, are we going to be able to have a good relationship, a good working relationship? And I don't think in the past I've asked that question enough. I don't think that I've probably, I think a couple of times, like we haven't, we've just gone, yes, we'll, we'll work with you just to get a new client. And we should probably take a step back and think about this and say, okay, are you, are we, are, are you going to be right for us? Like as well. Well, one thing I, I realized quite quickly once um, we started hiring people and building our team is a bad client can make you lose a member of staff. And um, you've, you've got to be really careful about that because I've always had reasonably thick skin so I can deal with a lot of stuff if it's directed at me. But I always get, um, like, I always feel like the line's being crossed when something someone's being rude to a member of your staff. And um, I, I always, even though I know all the experts out there say, look, you know, you've got to let your team members deal with those people directly. I, that's where I do intervene in the business because I'd rather, if someone is being unreasonable, well, we'll always try and um, negotiate with people and make sure everyone understands everyone else's point of view. But there are instances where people are just being um, unreasonable or they're trying to have some kind of power play because it makes them feel better. I think that was um, the, that was that's been the case. I think there's there's some... There's maybe slightly old-fashioned attitude going on, and that power, that being, well, I want to feel in charge, sort of attitude, which it just doesn't doesn't work for us, work for me, it doesn't work for staff. And I think what you said there with having a thick skin, sometimes I I don't, and it it depends how sort of where I am in terms of my anxiety levels and stress levels at the time, but when I I can I can feel that emotion like growing in me. I'm having like some sometimes if I'm having a com- difficult conversation, um, I, you know I don't like. Well, no one, but in business, some yeah. people thrive with that. You know, and I that's one thing where I I, I perhaps you know, I need to take emotion out of it. I don't think those confrontational people get far in business, but the problem is they they mess you around while they're failing. Um, I mean, you've got to be direct with people a lot of the time. Like, you know, you do have to give them the right feedback. You've got to, um, you've got to help them develop. But the other side of it as well is like, you know, confrontation for confrontation's sake. Like, you know, I've, I've struggled to get on with people in the past, but then they've got like all of their staff turnover every six months as well. So, and then you look at that and you think maybe it's not just me. Um, but <laughs> It's a, um, it is an interesting one because like trying to, trying to just maintain the quality of your clients. Like, you know, these days, especially in accounting and other industries as well, it's not the easiest thing in the world to build and maintain a team. So you've got to make sure that the quality of work that they're doing, the the quality of the relationships that they're being part of are are fulfilling for them. Um, So it's definitely a consideration, I think. um, And I think more business owners need to think about as well. um, I guess, you know, for me and maybe similarly for you, like we, because we focus on financial targets a bit more, um, that can be that can be a good tool in trying to um, not take on every single um, customer that you have to. Because I think if business owners aren't really thinking about finances, they they're just going to have this mindset: "Hey, I need every little bit of money I can get in, just so the business is stable." But actually, getting every bit of money in isn't going to make your bit business stable. It's going to have it's about having good quality relationships. So um, I think one of the things we do is try and help people understand, actually, look, you, the target you, you have, um, you don't have to do every little bit of work that lands on you. You just have to do enough of the right work. 
I think one good thing I've seen about your business, which I, I think I'd like to see other businesses replicate a bit more, is um, you're quite highly niched. Like, um, you know, earlier on, you, you're very specific about the industry you're in. And I think these days you've got to be if you like and especially the new like you know linkedin algorithm we were talking about earlier it's it's looking for how niched people are they don't want people just talking about general stuff they want people yeah. talking about a specific industry or specific topic they don't want everyone on linkedin to see it anymore they just want engagement from one particular group and i think that's the way marketing and and business is going in general like um, I, I mean, uh, there's accountants out there that will do a lot of the things we do, but they don't specialize in it. And there's a lot of things in accounting that we don't do. Um, but the things we specialize in, we can do them to a higher standard and, and more importantly, like make them more affordable to smaller businesses because like, you know, financial management at the higher end, um, and, and small businesses can't always afford it. So that's always been part of our mission as well. You know, create that scale and those processes to make it affordable for small businesses. Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, that's that's obviously really helpful for our business. Mm. Um, but yeah, we 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 definitely. I think I probably spent a lot of time like thinking about where we want to sit. We've talked about it with the staff as well, like who you know, because we've personally that's I've I've got I've had that niche in the HVAC industry, trades and construction training, general trades and construction that area. Um, but it does seem to be, you know, what what we're finding is that we're working more with sort of those HVAC clients. So heat for anyone that doesn't know, HVAC heating, ventilation, uh, cooling. Uh, so anything to do with at the moment, for example, heat pumps, huge, and it's a growing industry. What we come off the back of that with is sustainability. So we're kind of working with a lot of clients on the um, net, the government's net zero targets. So sustainability is a huge part of what we're trying to educate the online world on with different clients. Um, so it means that we've got the, the HVAC niche and then we can also, a slightly slightly bigger niche, but still a niche within that is, is sustainability side. So that's where I, I see that going to, if we can expand it a little bit when we grow, it would be to just general sustainability. So companies that are doing anything to do with about uh, that side of things um, we'd be interested um, but yeah I mean it's, it, it sounds on paper uh, like not a terribly exciting industry but, and it's what I've, I've said that before to, um, to my staff I was just sort of joking that I know that you know, maybe you're not going to enjoy this that much like writing about these things and but they all have found it super interesting yeah. Um, I mean, you're preaching to the crowd. I'm, we're an accounting firm. It's, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And we've, 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 uh, I think what we've been able to do as well, we've, we've just partnered up with a company called um, uh, Butcher and Gunderson. They sort of specialize in communicating uh, sort of jargon and difficult to understand concepts within industries like, um, well, they've, Chevron's a client of theirs and, uh, they do a lot of like beer and things like that, but they're they're sort of we've kind of crossed over in the fact that we're they want to sort of work with HVAC clients and trades and construction. So we've kind of started to work together on projects and it's been really interesting. So they come at it from a um from a brand and from a, a communication uh point of view. We come at it from a uh SEO and uh 
discovery point of view. So how people get onto the website and then they're, once they're on the website, where do they go? Yeah. And that's, but that's a really exciting sort of direction kind of going in like, um, that's really good. Yeah. So Johnny, that's um, amazing to hear, and especially about the niching. I think um, some of the most successful businesses out there, they're, they're either you know niched in terms of industry or they're niched in terms of service, or even both. But um, that that's um, that means uh, you've got the, the foundations of, of really good business. Um, I guess, like you know, the final question I've really um, got got for you is, um, if you could give someone who's just starting out some advice, what would it be? I think. I think it would be, um, don't be afraid. I think those opportunities to change what you're doing. And like, if you're thinking about, oh, I'd like to start a business or like, maybe I want to go self-employed, but I'm a bit worried about, will it work? Like, I think you just have to do it. And it, like, I, I, I re I came to that realization after, you know, I was, when I was journaling and everything, it really made me realize that actually I wasn't entirely happy with that lifestyle with, with working that nine to five for someone else and doing that made me realize. And I was just like, I'll take the chance. And I haven't looked back. Like I haven't, I honestly, you know, I feel very confident that, you know, the business is going to grow and that yeah, every step there's been a, the, you know, every time I've employed someone, well, maybe not, last person but every time like pretty much i've had to make a big decision like i've i've been less scared that keeps happening and more comfortable with everything so um yeah i guess don't be afraid don't be afraid of what could happen could be the best life probably will be the best excellent and um for anyone that's watching uh, if they want to get a hold of you what's the best way uh so you can uh, go to the website, go to uh, jlcreativeltd.com. Um, yeah, and you'll find information there. We're still we're still developing the site. Okay, um, yeah. But yeah, it's there. So I guess a workman's house is never finished. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's absolutely amazing. And we'll, um, we'll include a link for that in the description. So um, everyone, you've been watching and listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast. And um, it's been great to have you on, Johnny. And um, I'll see you at the next episode.